Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. This is the last chapter of a very difficult book, and yet it's a book like Proverbs that uh, is based on the wisdom that God gave Solomon. And uh, Proverbs while he was a young man, Ecclesiastes while he was an old man, and uh, he has uh, great regrets in this book because uh, after about 22 years of walking with the Lord, he just walked away from the Lord. And we're all going to have regrets if we do that. And he just decided he was going to find some kind of satisfaction in the world. And so he tried everything the world had to offer him in his day. For about 15 years, he was away from God. And he returned to the Lord with about two years left in his life. And during that time, he wrote this book. And the grand conclusion at the end of this book is in chapter 12. We won't even get to it tonight. But let's get at this chapter. He's, he's really bringing out some profound wisdom in this chapter. I hope it will make some sense to you tonight. He says in verse 1, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Now verse 1 is built upon chapter 11 and verses 9 and 10. Uh, in chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, he's talking to young men. Some of you are young men tonight, so you ought to listen up. And he's saying to them that uh, in verse 9 of chapter 11, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. And then there's a big word here called but. But, chapter 11, verse 9. And this thought continues into verse 10 and into chapter 12. Just because there's a chapter division there, that was added by men. The paragraph begins in chapter 11, verse 9, and continues on through chapter 12 and verse 7. It's all one big thought. He's saying back in chapter 11 and verse 9, Go ahead, young men, do whatever you want. Whatever you want to do in your heart, go ahead. Whatever you see with your eyes, anything you want to enjoy, anything you want to get involved in, go ahead. But see, the tone of his voice here is sarcastic. You can tell that by these words, But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. And so he's warning young men here. He's saying, go ahead, young men, follow your heart if you want to. Follow your eyes if you want to, but don't ever forget, God's going to bring you into judgment. And that's not necessarily talking about the next life. As we see the thought continue into the next chapter, <laughs> he says the, the judgment could be in this life. Therefore, verse 10, remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh. He says just, just repent and remove yourself. Separate yourself from evil as a young man. For childhood and youth are vanity. They are very, very empty times. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of, of vainness during that time. And you young men especially got to be careful that you don't get involved in it. And because of verses 9 and 10, we now come to our text, verse 1. Remember now thy Creator in the days of your youth. Don't follow your heart. Don't follow your eyes. Remember your Creator. And he's going to explain down in verses 2 through 7 why you need to remember your Creator. 
Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. See that phrase in verse 1 called the evil days? Somebody has coined those days incorrectly, the golden years. You ask old people about the golden years. No wonder what you're talking about. Uh, they're not golden years. He's saying, listen, old age, verse 1, is going to come upon you, and the years are going to draw nigh in your life when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Everything's going to be fine with nature, verse 2, but everything's going to start falling apart for us in verses 3 through 7. We'll go through some things here. I have no pleasure in them. There's a lot of older people that say that as they get old into the so-called golden years. They're really evil days. They have no pleasure in them. Verse 2 says, While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain, there's just uh, everything is, is, is going fine there in nature. But in verses 3 through 7, he kind of uses poetic language to describe the breaking down of the human body and the human spirit. It says, in the days when the keepers of the house shall tremble. He's talking now about the human body. I, I want to read a verse out of the New Testament. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this house we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our, house, with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. And so the, the Bible refers to the human body sometimes as a house or a temple. It says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? And that's what Solomon is going to do now. He's going to use uh, a metaphor of a house breaking down to that of a person, a human being, getting older. And we'll see what that has to do with young people here in a minute. He says, in the days... Verse 3, in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. So in other words, the, the human body is starting to fall apart here. It's, it's starting to tremble. It's starting to shake. And the young men shall bow themselves. We see here the legs are starting to go. The back's starting to go. They're starting to stoop. They're starting to lose strength and bend over. And the grinders cease because they are few. What do you think that's talking about? The teeth. You know, nowadays we got all kinds of partials and dentures and so on and so forth. Well, they didn't have that back then. The grinders cease because they are few. And those that look out the windows be darkened. What's this for reference to? It's talking here about the eyes. Uh, things are kind of dark and dim, and if you can imagine what it was like before they had glasses and how people would try to squint, but a lot of people just have to live in a blur 
uh, all of their days. Their eyes begin to grow dim. They, they begin to uh, have blindness. Verse 4, And the doors uh, uh, shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding uh, is low. We hear, uh, see here about deafness. And uh, we see that uh, there's not much opportunity anymore to go outside. Can't see very much and can't hear very much. He shall rise up at the voice of the bird. Verse 4, he can't sleep. Uh, his sleep's been taken away. And all the daughters of music shall be brought low. The music fades away. The voice is gone. Verse 5, also when they shall be afraid of that which is in high, on high, they're afraid of heights. They're afraid to climb anything, afraid to get on ladders, afraid to get on chairs, afraid to get on stools. And fears shall be in the way. That means as they walk, they, they fear taking the next step. Many times we see today people with walkers, people with crutches and so on and so forth, and they, it's a fearful thing to get to this age for some people just to have to walk from point A to point B. And uh, they're afraid of heights. Oh, I got that. Verse 5, and fear shall be taken away. The almond tree shall flourish. Again, everything in nature is going good, but the grasshopper shall be a burden. There's still problems with nature. And desire shall fail. That is, the natural desires that were once strong in the human body are now gone. And everything's breaking down because man goes to his long home. This is talking about eternity. Wherever your home may be for eternity, please be reminded tonight you'll be there a long time. If you end up in heaven, that'll be for a long, long time. Praise God, if a person goes to hell like a fire, it'll be for a long time. It's described in other portions of Scripture as eternal uh, or everlasting. Because man goes to his long home and the mourners go out about the streets. This is talking here about the uh, funeral processions, funeral parades. They used to have parades down in New Orleans. They were kind of famous. Probably won't have those anymore. I don't know. But the mourners go out about the streets. There's the funeral procession taking the person to the, the person's uh, grave site. And then in some poetic language here, it refers to older people, uh, and it talks about, in poetic terms, a picture of death. It says, or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Uh, so a loosed cord's pretty much not much not that much value. A golden bowl, a pitcher, a fountain, or a cistern, a broken wheel. These are all pictures of human beings and, and perhaps the different type of a use or function. In life, Fanny Crosby once wrote a song based on verse 6. She said, Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the king. Someday my earthly house will fall. I cannot tell how soon twill be, but this I know my all in all has now a place in heaven for me. Someday when fades the golden sun beneath the rosy tinted west, my blessed Lord will say, well done, 
and I shall enter into rest. Someday, till then I'll watch and wait, my lamp all trimmed and burning bright, that when my Savior opens the gate, my soul to him may take its flight. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story, saved by grace. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story, saved by grace. So I know this is difficult language down from verses 2 down through 7, but it's just talking about our bodies and it's using uh, metaphors about an earthly house and nature and how it just is degenerating completely and he finally dies. Death is uh, pictured as the silver cord being loosed, the golden bowl being broken, the pitcher being broken at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. It's, a, it's just a broken human body that's finally buried after a funeral possession. Verse 7, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Sometimes you hear people at funerals say dust to dust, ashes to ashes. I don't know where they get the ashes to ashes from. I've looked all over the Bible from there for that. It's not in there. But we shall return to the dust that is the body, shall go back to the dust, but the Spirit shall return unto God uh, who gave it. Turn back to chapter 3. If I just want to bring to your recollection a verse we studied earlier in the year about the human spirit. If you're wondering what death is, here's a good verse on it, 3 and verse 21. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of beast that goeth downward to the earth. See, death is when the human spirit leaves uh, the body. James chapter 2 and verse 26 in the New Testament says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. The body without the spirit is dead. Turn back to chapter 8, Ecclesiastes 8, and uh, verse... Um, Number 8, it says this, There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. So it talks about the frailty of human life and how no human being has ever been able to have power over their own spirit. Uh, in the day of death, uh, nobody can retain the Spirit. So it is very, very important that we realize tonight because we can do nothing to stop death from coming, that we be prepared to meet our God, that we be sure we're saved. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it tells us that the Spirit will be saved um, at the judgment. And I hope that your spirit is saved. I hope your soul is saved. Uh, don't mess around with that. We're told to examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith, in 1 Corinthians 3 uh, and verse number uh, 15, it says, If a man's work shall burn, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, uh, yet so as by fire. And uh, we need to be sure that we're saved and in Christ Jesus, and don't take that lightly. And don't think you're invincible. Don't think you're, just because you're young today, you may live forever, right? done over 200 funerals in my life. Most of them have been people younger than I am. And I don't like doing funerals. I wish I wouldn't have to do another one. But 
But uh, I think if I went back my records, and I have records of them all, that most, uh, probably half of the funerals I've done are people younger than I, and most of them never expected to die. So what's all this saying? Going back to chapter 11 and verse 9, through chapter 12 and verse 7, which I said was one paragraph, I believe Solomon is saying this, and this is very important for you young people to listen to, and I'll try to say this sensitively, but... He's saying to all of us, look, your elder years are going to be evil. That means bad, but they're going to be hard. Your, your, your body's going to degenerate. Uh, your spirit's going to be affected. Uh, it, it's, go, it's, it's going to be hard just naturally. It's going to be hard getting old. You don't want to add to that hardship the sins of youth. On top of that, that's what he's saying in verse 1. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Before the evil days come, before you say, I have no pleasure in life anymore, that's coming for all of us. The golden years are not golden. They're difficult times. As we lose our eyesight, we lose our hearing, we, we lose our ability to walk, we end up stooped and bent over and we can't hear music anymore and all the desires uh, of the flesh uh, have, have waned away and, and they don't affect us anymore. It's going to be very, very, very difficult getting old, Solomon says, just for any human being. But don't take and add to that burden the sins of your youth. You would not believe how many people, because of, quote, youthful indiscretions, end quote, uh, which are more like called in the Bible youthful lusts or sins, but we don't like those stinging words nowadays because they offend people. But how many people by their youthful indiscretions have had to carry the burdens of their youth into their old age? I'm talking about young people who have gotten diseases in their body from trans, uh, sexually transmitted diseases, for instance, because of their youth. And you've got this whole burden of, of just getting old compounded with that. Or uh, all kinds of things. And uh, just, you know, we could mention all kinds of things right here. Uh, some of you, I think, would appreciate me saying as a word of warning to those that haven't gotten married yet, how some of you married the wrong person. And uh, the marriage ended up failing, and you ended up with divorce, and you ended up with a, 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 a split life and, and children, child custody battles, and, and, and uh, all, all kinds of going back and forth, and uh, things that never, they don't go away as you get older. Uh, so many people have told me that they thought divorce was the solution when they found out that actually it just ended up, in many cases, becoming more of a problem. And many decisions we make in our youth are compounded over. One out of four of the young people that graduated from high school last year in the United States of America graduated with a sexually transmitted disease, a virus that can never be cured, that just keeps coming back whenever it wants to. And so Solomon here, you know, I know it's one of the most difficult things to do, and there's no way I can say these things sensitively tonight, but I've got to try to make a point to you young people. It's a very wise thing to remember your Creator in the days of your youth. 
a very wise thing to put God first in your life while you're in your teen years and while you're in your while you're in your twenties uh, uh, and while you're making decisions. It's a very wise thing that you do not follow your heart, chapter eleven, verse nine. That you do not follow um, your eyes. Boy, I'll tell you what I counsel with young people. I've been on the I've been on the phone this week with young people who are nineteen. And their lives are already more complex than mine will ever be. And man, I just scratch my head sometimes. And, and, and they just keep, uh, I guess I'll use the word mistake tonight just to be nice. They just keep making mistake after mistake after mistake. And you say, why don't you stop making mistakes, get right with God, because you're going to have to live with the consequences of these mistakes the rest of your life. Don't keep making more mistakes. Because it's going to be tough enough for us all just to get older and to put all the burden from youth on you, too. I tell you, there's a, there's a good reason right here why we ought to remember our God in our youth, in our teen years, and in our 20 years. And, and some of you adults tonight are saying, Amen, Pastor Cole, tell them. Uh, I'm one of those that can tell you stories about how I'm in my 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and still carrying the load uh, that I made for myself in my teen years, in my 20s. I'm still carrying that plus all the other load now of what it's like to get old. I am I. This is a good text here, and uh, Solomon is uh, being very transparent because he's one of those that had to carry a lot of stuff that he put on himself that God never wanted to be on him. Now, the best thing for any one of us to do tonight is to get right with God and, and, and quit making mistakes. You know, no more mistakes from this point on. Because getting old is hard. It says in Second Samuel um, chapter 19, verse 35, Barzillai said, I am this day fourscore years old, I'm 80 years old, and can I discern between good and evil? Can thy servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any more the voice of singing men or singing women? Wherefore then should thy servant be yet a burden uh, unto my Lord the King? So here's a guy, he's 80 years old. He says, I, I can't discern between good and evil. I'm having trouble making decisions. I can't taste what I eat. I can't taste what I drink. I can't hear any more singing men or women. Uh, it's awful hard as I'm getting old here. And Bar's life, by the way, was a good man. See, life gets hard as you get older. And a prudent young person, one who has forethought towards their future will say, you know, in my teen years, in my 20s, I'm going to walk circumspectly, not as fools, redeeming the time for the days are evil. I'm going to be careful what I do, what I choose, who I hang around with, what I get involved in, who I get married to, and so on. I'm going to say no to a whole lot more than just drugs in my life. I'm going to say no to just about everything. That might even appear evil because it's going to be tough when I get old. I don't want to take and put things on me that uh, are just going to make the burden even heavier. 
Vanity of vanities, verse 8. We'll go on with a few more verses here before we close. Vanity of vanities, that's the theme of this book. As we mentioned back in chapter 1, this is a, a book of vanity. It's just Solomon saying, look folks, I have tried everything the world has to offer and it left me empty, it left me void, it never satisfied me. This is a book about the meaningless of the humanistic life, the meaninglessness of the secular life, the meaninglessness of the entertaining life, the life without God. It's meaningless. But now we have two major themes in verses 9 through 14 left, and I'm going to finish the one but next week but uh, verses 13 through I'm sorry verses 14 through 15 we need God in our lives we need to fear the Lord but you know something and I'm not saying this for advantage or position but I'm saying this because it's in God's word in verses 9 through 12 every one of us needs a preacher in our life every one of us needs to take church seriously and needs to have a preacher in our life. Let's see what he says. Verse 9, And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and set out, sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads, and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. He goes on to say in verse 12, Be careful about books. Don't get distracted by books. Of making many books, there is no end. He said you can get off track reading too many books, but he said what you need is God's Word. And you need the preacher. And there's just not enough emphasis on that nowadays. Let's look at these things in closing about the preacher, verse number 9, and for any of you men who are going to be in the ministry someday, as far as I'm concerned, in my own opinion, this is the greatest text in all of the Bible on what a preacher should do, verses 9 through 11. And uh, I think uh, if more pastors would get back to this and if I try to stay close to this. I think we'd have better churches with better, solid, more solid, grounded people than what we have nowadays. It says in verse 9, And moreover, because the preacher was wise. A preacher has to have some general intelligence. Um, there are some people, I think, who are trying to be preachers, even trying to be pastors and trying to lead churches today that just don't have any general intelligence. And it's really detrimental, I think, to the people who uh, are under them. He's got to have uh, some, he, he's got to know what he's talking about. He's got to have some wisdom that he has received from God and uh, from God's word, because the preacher was wise, he still, he still, he still taught the people knowledge. He still taught the people knowledge. You know, we live in a day when people say the Bible is irrelevant. 
The Bible doesn't work anymore. The Bible's full of fairy tales and fables and so on. Well, it doesn't matter what popular opinion is about the Bible. We need preachers who will be he still preachers. He still, he still, he still. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse number 2, it says, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Rebuke, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. There's that nasty word doctrine that people don't want to embrace uh, anymore, but it's right in the Bible. Uh, he needs to preach the word. The preacher needs to be instant in season, out of season. That means when it's in season and it's really popular, or it's out of season and nobody wants to hear that anymore. He still, he still, he still, it says here in verse number 9, he still taught the people knowledge. The law of first mention tells us in Jeremiah 3.15, when you have pastors mentioned for the first time ever in the Bible in a positive light, Jeremiah 3.15 says this, And I will give you pastors according to mine heart that shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. He still taught the people knowledge. Pastors come from the heart of God. You can't take them lightly. doesn't matter if you like them or not. You've got to recognize that the position comes from the heart of God, Jeremiah 3.15. And I will give you pastors according to my heart, God says. God has a heart. God has a heart for the human race, and one of the ways he has manifested his heart is by giving them pastors who will teach them knowledge. Who will teach them knowledge. Knowledge is the facts of life. Yea, he gave good heed. The preacher must pay attention to the word of God. He must be a student. It's really not to the whole body of Christ, although we usually quote it that way, but it's to a man named Timothy that the Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I know every one of us ought to follow that verse, and every one of us ought to be Bible students. Every one of us ought to go home and check up on the preacher. Make sure he's accurate according to the Scriptures. But it was an old preacher, Paul, speaking to a young pastor, Timothy, who became the first bishop or overseer or pastor of the church at Ephesus. Paul said to Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God. Not to some Bible college, uh, not to some denomination, but approved unto God. Study the Bible so much that you're approved unto God. And preachers need to spend time studying the Bible or as it says right here, he gave good heed. He's got to pay attention to the scriptures. I know a lot of pastors who are so busy doing everything else that they literally run to the Sword of the Lord magazine or something on a Saturday night and drag out a sermon from an old Sword of the Lord magazine and preach that to their people the next day. I just want to spend a lot of time in the Bible he gave good heed. That's what the preacher is supposed to do over in Acts chapter number 6. And uh, verse number 4, uh, it says this, as they were having problems in the church trying to get widows fed, Peter said, don't bother me with that. Let the congregation take care of the widows. He said, it is not reason, verse number 2, Acts 6-2, that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It's very important that the church protect the time of the pastor so he can study the Word of God. 
so he can give forth the word of God and not have to serve tables. Acts 6.4 says, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's what they ought to give themselves continually to. That's their job description. He should give good heed, it says here in verse 9. He ought to pay attention. He sought out. He's a seeker. He seeks for truth. He seeks truth out of the word of God. And set in order many proverbs. I think there's one book you ought to read out of every day of your life, and that's the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. We went through the book of Proverbs last year as a church for the second time, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We need to set out, I I believe that if you could just master the book of Proverbs, you never have to make another decision in your life, that book will make them all for you. I'm not talking about little things on which way to go to the grocery store or something. I'm talking about the decisions of life that will guide you. God has given us the book of Proverbs. If you'll study the books of wisdom, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, study Song of Solomon for your marriage, uh, you won't have to make many decisions. Uh, My wife and I have mentioned this uh, dozens of times. I'll mention it again. The first six years of our life together as husband and wife, we read a chapter out of Proverbs every morning for breakfast. And we read through the book. There's 31 chapters. We read through it once a month, went back, started over, read through it the next month, the next month. We did that for 72 consecutive months when we were first married. Why? Because I wanted a foundation in our marriage for every decision we have. And and, and it, it has been very, very simple being married to my wife, very, very simple raising our children, very, very simple handling our finances, uh, very, very simple. Uh, because that book has made our decisions for us. The Bible says the preacher is supposed to know Proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, verse 10. You ought to know Proverbs too. Acceptable words. And this is another thing for you men that are going to be preachers. We need to preach acceptable words. Now, that doesn't mean compromising words. It just means Bible preaching. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. Words. Uh, The Apostle Paul, one time while he was speaking to the church at Corinth, uh, said this. He said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you, could not speak unto you as unto carnal, or as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. So the Apostle Paul chose out acceptable words. He he realized who the crowd was that he was speaking to. He discerned, are they spiritual or are they carnal? Seeing that they were carnal, that means fleshly, they were worldly, they were ungodly, he brought them the milk of the word. He didn't try to jam steak down their throats because they were still babes in Christ. They hadn't grown. They hadn't developed spiritually. So he chose out acceptable words. And a lot of preachers don't do that. They, they say things they ought not to say in public because people are not yet ready to receive them. And that which was written was upright, verse 10. You know, the Bible is upright, amen? They are words of truth. The Bible are words of truth. That which was written. We ought to all read the Bible because that which is written is upright. 
even words of truth, acceptable words. The uh, words of the wise, uh, let me just do another verse here and then we'll close, are as goads. A goad is a, a sharp stick that was used to prod cattle to get them moving. The words of the wise are as goads. They were called pricks over in the New Testament in Acts chapter 9. They were used to prick cattle to, to get them moving. And uh, I think there is a good um, little uh, uh, truth here that we ought to, when we're giving out God's word, prick and not pierce. In Proverbs 12 and verse 18, we read this, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. That's not very wise to speak as the piercings of a sword. Okay, if you can just picture someone taking a sword and piercing somebody, what are you going to have? You're going to have blood all over the place. You're not going to help that person. You're going to hurt that person. That's a metaphor of our words. There are some people that when they speak, it's like daggers. It's like a sword. They, they cut people up. Mothers do it all the time. Fathers do it. They, they, they shred their kids up. They leave their kids bleeding. Husbands sometimes leave their wives bleeding after they have verbally assaulted them. Uh, sometimes wives leave their husbands bleeding. Uh, sometimes employees leave their fellow employee bleeding or their neighbors bleeding. And then sometimes some of them, you know, uh, put their chest out and say, well, I'm just giving them the word. I'm just preaching the truth. Well, there's a right way and a wrong way to say anything, even though something is true. We have to be careful about it. I remember one time uh, a preacher standing up in the pulpit and uh, he decided he didn't like people smoking cigarettes. And so he said, if you really want to smoke, why don't you go out to the bus out here and put your lips on the pipe, the exhaust pipe. I remember I was attending that church and I think it was Tuesday night, I went by to see some people that had visited that church uh, that Sunday, I think I stopped by on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night or something, I was out visiting, trying to follow up on people. Well, it turns out they were attending the church for the very first time and that they smoked cigarettes. And they were so offended, they never wanted to come back, they never wanted to talk to me, they, they definitely didn't want to hear the gospel. There's no reason why people have to say things like that from the pulpit. There is that speaketh as the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. The tongue of the wise is health. The tongue of the wise helps people, makes people healthier when they give out the word. But we do have to goad people, prick, but don't pierce is the philosophy I go by. There are times where you've got to prick people and get them going. The words of the wise are as goads. They're as pricks. I mean, sometimes it's not pleasant. Don't get me wrong. Another metaphor for the words of the wise are as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies. Nails fastened by the masters of assemblies are what we would call the construction crew today. There's another thing. A, a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a children's church worker, anybody who's a lay preacher or some lady that's teaching other ladies or going to Hopevale or whatever, we ought to look at every lesson we give out, every sermon we give out as another nail 
that we fasten. And you know, I noticed something about construction workers. My son's in construction and some of the men of the church. Is that they're usually pretty wise where they put the nail. You know, that there's a reason for why they put the nail in where they put the nail in. They're trying to build something one step at a time. Another thing about construction people is they don't scrimp on nails. You know, they don't go up on the roof and say, well, you know, I think I'll just put one nail in each shingle. Uh, they ought to hold it on. I mean, that's all that matters is that we get the thing held on. So instead of three nails, they, they just put one in. Well, what's going to happen to that roof come the first storm? It's going to blow up. They blow off. What's the point? The point is this. We need as many nails as we can get. And I want to encourage you to hear as much preaching as you can. And just look at every sermon. I mean, I want to encourage you to come for Sunday school on Sunday mornings and stay for church and come back Sunday nights, go to men's meeting or ladies' meeting on Sunday nights and then church Sunday evening and then church Wednesday evening. And just, just, just keep going and let God work on you through sermon after sermon after sermon as a metaphor of just one more nail being put into the assembly of my life. I need this sermon. It's just one more nail, another nail, another nail, another nail. I'm not going to scrimp on nails in building my life up. This is something God does. And then notice last of all, it says in verse 11, which are given from one shepherd, which are given from one shepherd. Uh, God has a shepherd over each church. He's called a pastor. He's not the only voice. We have many other teachers and preachers, for instance, in this church. Many others occupy the pulpit, like Dr. Hills did Sunday, and missionaries and evangelists and so on and so forth. We've got assistants and, and so on. But, but basically, God works in the leadership role of his church through one shepherd, whose sermons need to be like nails, whose sermons need to be like goads that prod us sometimes, nails that assemble us sometimes, acceptable words. The preacher's got to watch his spirit so he's not preaching in a wrong spirit. And he's got to stick to the Bible, which are words of truth. That which was written is upright. He's got to set in order many proverbs. He's got to teach the people knowledge, verse 9. He's got to still teach the people whether they want to hear it or not. He's got to be wise. He's got to learn something about every subject. What other occupation on earth that you know of that where somebody has to learn something about every subject? That's why we need to pray for pastors. Pray for the leaders of the churches. Uh, the pastor doesn't have a cabinet like the president uh, has, and, and where you know it's twelve different cabinet members, and this one's over this, so on, so on. He's got to know a little bit about everything. So you need to pray for them. Pray for pastors, I'm telling you. It's a, it's a tough calling, but it's something God calls people to. And we need to be wise about the role of a pastor, the role of a preacher. And so in his grand conclusion of the book, we're going to see next week, you need God. You need to fear God and keep his commandments, but you also need to be under a preacher all of your life. And if our call's not getting the job done, then, then, then go to another church by all means where you can find a man who's going to preach nails for the assemblies and go just sometimes to get you going, who's going to set an order of Proverbs and who's going to be wise and, and so on. Is that thunder? I don't know. Well, let's pray. Father, thank